Welcome back to Tulsa Time with Bishop Condola. I'm Adam Minahan. Merry Christmas. We're here in the Christmas season now. We've prepared for four weeks for this time, talking about the Incarnation this week. And we have, again, our special guest, Carlo Broussard from Catholic Answers. Thanks for coming. And I'm glad to be back. Yeah. Yeah. So we've had four weeks of Advent, of preparation. We've talked about uh, forming our conscience, the importance of that to being able to, to, to go to confession on a penitential rite. Because uh, Advent is, we even talked about at the very beginning that Advent is a penitential season, not, <laughs> not the same as Lent, but it still is a penitential season. And now we are at the crescendo. We are here at Christmas Day. Um, what is the importance of, of, of the Incarnation? Like, why, why is this important? Well, our economy would fall if we didn't have Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> The, Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> the um, the term that you you mentioned, uh, penitential rite, in the mass. So, uh, hearkening back to our conversation about confession, mm-hmm. in the mass, every uh, time we celebrate mass, we have the penitential rite mm-hmm. at the beginning. I confess to Almighty God and so forth. Uh, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And we should remember that that is a confession. Mm-hmm. Also, and we are receiving an absolution. The priest does a, a prayer at the end of it. Um, it's not intended for uh, for uh, mortal sins, for very serious sins, but we commit venial sins all the time. And so, bringing those, one of the ways we can prepare for mass is being conscious about: okay, I'm going to be in that penitential rite. Are there some things that I should think about as I'm uh, saying that prayer? But uh, right. Uh, we're celebrating Christmas. <laughs> there are so many mixed messages because our traditions, our holidays, secular and religious and cultural, mm-hmm. are rich for the celebration of Christmas. But at the heart of it all is a mystery at the heart of the Catholic faith itself, which is the incarnation, the coming in the flesh of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emmanuel, God is with us. Um, there's this uh, this verse from uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 23. Uh, for Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called Jews and Greeks alike, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So this recognition that when uh, Jesus is born, when Jesus is conceived in Mary's womb, for the first time and the only time, God has entered human history in the flesh. That's what we talk about in terms of the incarnation. There's a book that uh, is about the writings of St. Irenaeus of Lyon, and the title of the book is The Scandal of the Incarnation. Hmm. And it's a, it's a tremendously apt title because if we really think about the fact that here we are in this nondescript planet, in the edge of this nondescript little galaxy, uh, roaming around this universe with hmm. billions of galaxies and et cetera, et cetera, and it's to us here mm. that God has come in the flesh. It is scandalous mm. to think of that. Um, 
I remember we talked about in one of my uh, classes the scandal of particularity, which had to do with God choosing the Jews as his chosen people. Among all the people in the world, he chooses this little uh, powerless tribe of the Jews. Well, the incarnation is a scandal in the same way. There's something so particular about it. And yet, that's what we believe. That is at the heart of what uh, the Catholic faith is, is that God has come to us in a new way, and that God who cannot change in the person of Christ, there is a change, not in the divine nature, mm-hmm. but now Jesus, who is from all eternity the Logos, mm-hmm. now has a human name and a human body, a human nature. In virtue of which he's able to experience change and through his human nature. And without which he cannot save us. That's right. Uh, uh, that which is not assumed is not saved. I, I seem to recall a principle like that uh, in theology. So that's what's at the heart of all the jingle bells and all the rest of it. Uh, oh, little town of Bethlehem and the way in a manger and all those things, and the little Christ child is cute and everything. But in the middle of that cute Christ child is this tremendous, awesome mystery. I have a plate that someone gave me, one of these little uh, picture plates, you know, it has a picture on it. And it's an image of Joseph working in the, the wood shop, you know, in, in Nazareth, and little baby Jesus, who's maybe two, playing in the floor, and he's picking up these long spikes. There's mm. three of them in the floor. And he's picking up these long spikes, and Joseph is holding a piece of wood that he's working on in such a way that it forms a cross-shaped shadow across the floor and across Jesus. And so it captures some of what we're talking about in terms of the incarnation, because as soon as he's conceived, why has God done this? Mm. And the answer is on the cross redemption for our salvation. And so we look at the cute little Jesus, but he's destined to be our Savior through this passion and death and then resurrection. Yeah, the shadow of the cross is there hovering over the manger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay, so what is the importance of the Holy Family? I mean, this is this the scene is, you know, uh, they're trying to find an inn. They can't find an inn. Joseph has to be just pan- in panic mode. I don't know about, like, for, for me as a dad, you're trying to protect and provide for your wife. Can't fi- You can't find anywhere. You're in a panic mode because uh, she's about to give birth, and right. I can't get her to p- have anywhere. Right. The importance of the Holy Family and, and then where he actually was born. Yeah, no price line. There wasn't price line there. Yeah, there's no, I didn't have a, we didn't have Google at that time. No, thanks be to God. <laughs> but again, that's part of the scandal of it, huh? Is that um, we would think if we heard, okay, God is coming, let's get it ready. Right. We would want the best palace and we would want the best of this and we would want everything perfect and all that. Mm-hmm. But God doesn't think that way. God comes in these poorest of circumstances, in even dangerous circumstances, you know? Uh, And yet Joseph is faithful. He is fulfilling his part in his role in the incarnation and in the caring for the child Jesus. Uh, Mary obviously is uh, fulfilling her role. And God is teaching us already. You know, from the circumstances he's teaching us. Uh, One of the hardest things that Jesus 
one, one of the things that was the most difficult for Jesus to get across to the people that he preached to was that he's a different kind of king, and his kingdom is a different kind of kingdom. That would have been all the harder had he come in the way we would think. Mm-hmm. Right. But the fact that he comes the way he came is already teaching us from the beginning, no, this is different. This is going to be different. Um, the Holy Family for us is particularly important because that's the patron of our diocese. Yes, our, our diocese right. is dedicated to the Holy Family, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. And uh, Pope John Paul II said that uh, the history of the church passes by way of the family. Uh, I think he was even broader, the history of the world or the history of culture passes by way of the family. That's telling us that our family, which we're the most likely to take for granted mm-hmm. and the most likely to think that it's unimportant or uh, be embarrassed by our family, is central to God's plan. Uh, it, it's the reason why he himself came in a family, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it teaches us to Uh, contribute to our family, and to think more carefully about the value of our family, the importance of our family. Just how the Holy Family brought salvation to the world, namely Jesus himself, that serves as a model for us as families to bring salvation to the world or to those around us by proclaiming Mm -hmm. our salvation, namely Jesus Christ. So through by us modeling the Holy Family, we can bring salvation to others. Yeah, because the Holy Family is, is very unique in that it provided a natural fruit of marriage, which is namely children, um, which families uh, obviously hopefully get to have. But then they also a supernatural end, namely salvation. Yeah. So, uh, so the Holy Family is, is a model for both the domestic life and the religious life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that Mary and Joseph, that even God has a human mother and father who teach him. Mm-hmm. That even God can be taught. As Luke tells us, he was obedient to Joseph and Mary and grew in wisdom and in yeah. knowledge. Yeah. Now, most of it we have to infer from, though, huh? because there's not a lot in the scriptures about what went on. Right. We have those years of obscurity, but we know from our own family more or less what went on. Yeah. Uh, we can see that. Uh, I do think, though, I have often thought this. Uh, the amazing image of Mary and Joseph sitting in the home in Nazareth, little two-year-old Jesus is playing there in the floor, and they're looking at each other. Bewildered, like... (laughs) And they're thinking, is this actually happening? Uh, How can this be? There must have been moments when they thought, this must have all been a dream. Uh, But then... You know, to use the the scriptural images, there on the mantelpiece are the the frankincense, the gold, and the myrrh. So, well, it can't have all been a dream because those people did that. They came here. Those wise men showed up. Yeah, as Luke tells us, Our Lady pondered these things in her heart, not only at the beginning, at the presentation in the temple, but also 12 years or so later at the finding of our Lord in the temple, mm. still pondering and having to continue to ponder. Mm-hmm. So you can only imagine, the song just conjured in my mind there, mm. you can only imagine what the conversations our, our Lady and Joseph would have had. And mm. even with our Lord, like I often mm. wonder, did Mary inquire from our Lord? Like, what's going on in there, Jesus? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> 
right? <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the movie The Chosen, you know, the series, The Chosen, captures uh, in a creative and beautiful way that scene of Mary and Joseph in the cave mm-hmm. and the shepherds showing yeah. up, you know, these rough guys mm-hmm. showing up. Uh, again, God operates in ways that are different. They were the lowest of the low, the crudest of the crude of the yeah. of the society, and yet that's who God chooses to first come to. And I think theologically an important lesson we can draw from this is, given the church's teaching that our Lord is redeeming from the moment of his conception, you mentioned the principle of assuming the human nature, and because the divine person assumes the human nature, thereby redeeming human nature, saving human nature. Aquinas talks about this in the Tertia Pars of the Summa Theologiae, the third part, beginning with question one from the very beginning, the fittingness Mm -hmm. of the incarnation, not of absolute necessity for salvation, but the fittingness of it for salvation, Mm -hmm. but affirming that by assuming human nature, beginning to save it from the moment of conception. So even within the family life, being a child, being obedient to mother and father, our Lord is redeeming the family, mm-hmm. is redeeming family life. Mm-hmm. And even within those hidden years, he's redeeming mundane, <laughs> everyday family living. Or- ordinary living. Yeah. Ordinary yeah. living. Right. Infusing, injecting that ordinary living with salvific power mm-hmm. to where for us, as every Joe Blow, you know, every going to work every day and Wiping poopy, you know, poopy bottoms and changing diapers and washing dishes and cooking meals and going hunting, killing the deer and cutting it up and feeding the meat to your family. Those can take on a salvific value to Mm -hmm. it, to where it can be ordered to our growth and holiness and our salvation and our relationship with the Lord because he lived it, you know, for us. It, It sometimes has been the case that uh, someone has had such a, an exalted view of the clerical life or the religious life that they end up devaluing or thinking in an unconscious way that marriage is a sort of a, a default. Uh, you know, if I can't be holy enough to be a priest or a religious, then I could at least be married. And the Holy Family teaches us that that's so wrong, right. that Marriage is a vocation that is in its own way, and for the person's call to it, equal to the, the vocation of the clergy in the sense that it is their path of salvation. Right. Mm. And so at times I've had, again, in the confessional, we talked about confession a lot lately, um, mothers who have children and who may be confessing that they they just can't seem to pray regularly and their mind is always distracted and this and that. And I have told them in the past, you, and this comes from St. Francis de Sales, you weren't called to be a nun. Right. If you were a Carmelite and you weren't praying hours a day, then you can confess that. But you're called to be a mother and a mother of children and so you're not going to be able to pray hours a day, and you're not going to be able to pray without distraction, at least for a number of years. And you might not be able to get up at 5 a.m. in the morning to have an hour's mm. worth of prayer because you were up to 2 a.m. taking care of the kids. Right. <laughs> a sick baby. And so because all of that is simply true, and because all of that is essential to your vocation, right. it is for you salvific. Mm-hmm. It is for you the path. Here we'll bring in the Mandalorian. This is the way. <laughs> 
<laughs> this is the way. So the life of the home and the domestic things that happen in the home are imbued by God with this power. So we should not discount them. We should not act as if those are uh, somehow not important or not crucial to our faith life. Okay, so it, piggybacking off of that, then how do we, if Christmas is, is such a monumental or salvific time in history when, when the Christ comes into this world, uh, how do we celebrate it appropriately? What should we be doing in the home? Father Brian O'Brien does a great job of making sure that people do not uh, celebrate Christmas before Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. You know, we're still in the, the season of Advent. Now Christmas is here. That does not mean uh, the next day that we're, we're putting down the Christmas tree right. and, and the lights right. and everything else. How do we celebrate it appropriately? But but we should revel in the fact that for us, we have the 12 days of Christmas. It is an octave. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, a solemnity. It has a, an eight-day celebration following it. Uh, we should revel in that because... Which is like Christmas Day for eight days. Right. Yeah. We, we should revel in that because that means we don't have to do our Christmas cards till the 26th. Yeah. <laughs> See, we're Catholics. We're not late for 12 days. And so we don't have to worry about that. But that is the way. that To recognize that we live in a, a world and in a culture and in a particular country that is rich with traditions, some of them goofy and silly and, and not worth observing, but many of them harmless and fun. And, right. you know, already we see the beautiful colored lights on houses and at the entrance to neighborhoods and so forth. Uh, All of that is fine, but for us, the central thing is the Incarnation, and the Incarnation is celebrated in the church at Mass, uh, particularly Christmas Day Mass, whether the Midnight Mass or the Eve Mass before or on Christmas Day itself. And then to continue that celebration through the 12 days. So to be thinking ahead, what are we going to uh, how can we manage our calendar in such a way that we can try to do some of these things? People are traveling. One uh, eight hundred mass times. You know, I mean, uh, actually, I think it's on the computer now. Uh, there, there's lots of ways to find out where is the church, wherever you're going to be, mm-hmm. and what are the mass times locally and nearby, so that we can make plans to be sure to be able to go to Mass, take the kids, so the kids come to understand this is the important thing, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I don't like... <laughs> it's just because I think it's silly. <laughs> I, I don't like <laughs> the uh, practice in churches of having someone dressed as Santa come in carrying gifts <laughs> and kneeling at the manger. I just think that's a little silly. But I understand the, the point. Right. The point is to try to say and to teach the children and the families. Everything else we're doing out there is because of this. The incarnation is the center of all of this. It's the reason why we do it. Maybe they can do it either before the liturgy or after the liturgy. <laughs> yeah, right? definitely not in the liturgy, yeah. yeah at least yeah. not in the liturgy. Yeah, yeah I think uh, one, at least with regard to a principle that we can use to guide us in our families, is to think about the things that our culture presents during this quote-unquote, holiday season, right, in preparing for Christmas, and try to see what is good. And even if it's just secular and sort of neutral, Mm -hmm. how can we infuse, use that good, and infuse it with 
the true meaning of Christmas and order it properly mm-hmm. to our Lord's birth mm-hmm. and celebrating our Lord's birth. Because I'm of the opinion, I used to kind of be of the mindset of like, no Christmas celebration during the season of Advent, right? Mm-hmm. Until Christmas. But I've come to a point now in, in my thinking that I think uh, these are good things that our culture is presenting, like the lights and mm-hmm. sort of the festivity and sort mm-hmm. of just the vibe, right? Mm-hmm. And and use that to our benefit because sure. it does enhance. I mean, we could talk about other things where you're sort of leading up to certain activities where you're prepping things and enhancing, even just preparing a meal, you know, and the, mm-hmm. and the fun and the excitement with that and use that cultural vibe to our benefit and order it properly to our Lord's birth and just reminding the kids of what it's for, et cetera. Uh, one thing we used to do on a practical level in the Broussard home is that we used to decorate the tree with Advent colors mm-hmm. and then right before Christmas change the decorations to Christmas decorations. Mm. So we used to do that. We don't do that anymore. <laughs> we slacked off on that. <laughs> and that's partially because I, I, I travel a lot. Right. And so it, it, it came to be to where we were only experiencing the, the Christmas decorations like you know, I wasn't there. So we started doing the Christmas decorations before I leave and travel for like two weeks during Advent and stuff. So anyway, yeah. but that's one practical. Yeah, I like that. Tra- I like that tradition. That's a yeah. good, that's a good uh, Christian Christmas tradition. What are, what are some for, for you, for your, for the Condorla household? You know, the, the, um, for us, there was the spectacle because there's 12 kids. Uh, so the spectacle of, and somehow they always pulled it off. I mean, my parents were not wealthy people by any means. But uh, the spectacle of the whole living room area flooded with gifts because you got several gifts for 12 people, 14 people. Um, often we got our tree from the side of the road on Rabbit Lane. So uh, <laughs> Dad and I w- would go out <laughs> down this long dirt road out in the country uh, near where we lived and find don't, a, don't do that in the city. That's it, not, that's not, don't do that in the city. We would find, a, <laughs> find an ordinary cedar in the ditch, and uh, it wasn't always Christmas shaped, but we shaped it a little bit. Sure. Cut it down and bring it home and, and uh, put it up in the house. We had the, we talked about the, um, the manger. My mother would put this manger frame work on top of the TV and next to it a basket of straw, and during Advent, the kids were all supposed to do good deeds, and for each good deed, you got to put a piece of straw in the, in the manger with the hopes that poor baby Jesus won't have a hard bed by Christmas time. We do that as well, Bruce Home, another yeah. practical example. Yeah. yeah, but the thing that I think ties them together, and this is for parents to just be creative and inventive, um, all of those things, what we're trying to do is take whatever's going on and baptize it. That's you know, right. Give it, mm-hmm. Give it away as a pointer to the incarnation. You know, we get invited to lots of office parties and things during that time. Okay, you don't have to be so strict about not going to those things that you uh, end up hurting relationships. Go to them, but talk to them about your plans to go to Midnight Mass. It's going to be beautiful. Would you love to come? Uh, Things like that. So just think of what are creative ways to make things point to what actually is happening. Yeah. How can we baptize ugly sweater parties? <laughs> <laughs> just come in just there. Put, just, just, I mean, just holy water everywhere. You can't, put, you can't put Jesus on the ugly sweater because that implies Jesus is ugly. We can't do that. It, it's a, as a penance. <laughs> it's a penance, yeah. It's a, it's a hair shirt. It's, a, it's a modern-day hair shirt. There you go. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, one thing that, that we started doing, and I wish this was a tradition that used to happen all the time, but I wish it kind of would come back, was in Advent we would prepare to sing Christmas carols. And we, as a family, we'd, we'd sing, we'll sing it together. And then that way, after Christmas, we would go, we go to our neighborhood mm. and, and sing Christmas carols. We'd mm. ring the doorbell. That's a great idea. And, uh, you know, just sing. We have three songs, so we, it's only three songs, so the kids can remember it. One verse, so it's not, you know, it's not right. too daunting or too daunting for the person listening. For the neighbors. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then we have, like, you know, some, a little gift that we give them, whether it be, like, you know, a little cinnamon stick that they can put in their tea or something like that, or even a mask card. Like, here's, here's mm-hmm. something if you really want to go that route. But it, it, spreads, it spreads Christmas joy. Um, and uh, something that my parents did for us was we would sing Christmas carols and then go to the nursing homes mm-hmm. and sing Christmas carols. I think that's just such a, a beautiful thing of, of it, very easy to do. Sure. You don't have to be a good singer. Case in point here, the Lord did not see it fit for me to have a good voice, but um, you can still participate and do it. And the joy that you see on the other people's faces mm-hmm. uh, when that happens um, is really, uh, it, it just, it mean, it, it's meaningful, it's impactful. And people are very generous to participate in things like the toy drives and the coat drives. And mm-hmm. So to be mindful uh, year-round, but particularly at Christmas, at people who are going to either be alone, mm-hmm. like the nursing home, or people who are going to do without, uh, people who are living on the street or whatever. Mm-hmm. We have all these agencies that try to make sure they have what they need uh, to be supportive. Of us. Yeah. Well, we want to thank you guys so much for listening to Tulsa Time with Bishop Conroy. Wishing you, a, you and your family a Merry Christmas. I'm Adam Minhan. We'll see you next week. <laughs>